Well, good morning. This is Mark Madison. Welcome to the Contractor Coffee Club podcast. I'm your host. The podcast is hosted by EGA.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes and a submission form for our listener Q&A and the link to take the latest EGI snapshot survey. And Lucas, did we not get a great survey just recently? We did, yeah. In uh, in September, we surveyed our the contractor members on local events and home shows. So as a quick yes. little update for people who aren't familiar, the Snapshot Survey, we're surveying, surveying our members every month on a different topic that is important, crucial to contractors to see how they're evolving their businesses, how they're working with things like local events and home shows. We've done stuff on marketing, financial structure, lead generation, to figure out what people are doing to kind of evolve their own best practices, figure out where perhaps you, you may have a shortcoming and see some of the, uh, some of the opportunities that other contractors are using. So last right. month, we talked local events and home shows. And I just wanted to do a quick little excerpt on this one. This one is available now for all EGI members. If you're an EGI member, it's in your member dashboard. If not, you can at least get a free snippet of this on uh, egia.org slash blog. Uh, so Mark, we asked first, uh, does your company participate in any, any kind of local events like home shows, mall shows, fairs, etc.? We had 84% of companies do participate in uh, various local events. And just wow. to give your take on that one, Mark, is that something that you've worked in before? I love those because it's all about people, right? I go to fairs, right? I go to those shows. I like to walk around. I like to talk to people. But what contractors tell me, and I've, I've actually sat with contractors and, and done those. I've even done some things with Costco as well, right? Where I'm with the, the company representative. And it really comes down to how good are you at engaging people in conversation, right? So it, 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 the success of those home shows come from, not from the person who's sitting back you know, reading the newspaper or looking bored, but from the guy who's smiling, who asks what I call interrupting questions, right? So is this, is this your first time to, to one of these home shows? And uh, how, do, do you live in the area? And now all of a sudden it's, it's a function of, can you pull somebody into a conversation and, and not be the guy who is just sitting there looking bored or, or handing somebody a brochure and not saying anything. So I, I had an opportunity recently, about six months ago, to work with a contractor who was doing Costco events. And I said, well, would you let me kind of initiate the conversation? And, and they said, well, absolutely. You know, by all means, you know, go, go for it. And it was so fun because we, we tracked it out of about 30 people I talked to, end up having conversations with about five of them. And two of them literally made appointments. So it comes down to uh, conversion rates and numbers. If sales and marketing is a numbers game, you know, what's your conversion rate? How good are you at converting a complete stranger into a friend in the span of, you know, five minutes? And it, it, it always comes back down to what we've talked about before. And that is how good are you at asking open-ended questions and how good are you at listening and not listening, waiting to talk, but listening to try to understand. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it, and it seems like also, in, especially in today's, we've, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast before, how you know there's a lot less face-to-face -face contact. There's a lot less getting a recommendation from your neighbor over the fence. More and more often, right. your company is found on the internet. And maybe even you know the first contact is made on the internet without even a voice happening. So this sounds, I mean, the idea of these face-to-face -face events really gives your company an opportunity to have an actual public face and to make physical direct contact with somebody, talk to the 
talk to the people in the local community, show yourself as part of that community. Right. And I think the success comes with doing three really simple things. Number one, you have to make sure you have the right person there. They have to have the outgoing personality and they have to be the, the, the great question asker and the great listener. So that's number one is, is putting the right person in the right seat on the bus. Number two is, is just smiling, right? And engaging people in conversation by asking questions. You have to interrupt their preoccupation with all the other things, you know, it's this myriad of, of you know, stimuli, right? That, that's grabbing our attention. So you have to find a way to interrupt that, but in a way that doesn't feel manipulative or controlling. And, and the third thing is back to what we said before, ask great questions and, and listen, actively listen. And I would add maybe a fourth one as I think about it, have some kind of script. If you haven't scripted the questions, if you haven't scripted your approach, then you probably haven't given a lot of thought and your conversion rate is going to be really, really low. So I find it fascinating that 84% of the contractors that surveyed said that they do home shows. The question is, are they doing it right? Yeah, no, that's, they, that's a great point. Because sales is the name of the game, right? And if you can't convert you know, a suspect into a prospect, a prospect into a customer, then maybe you need somebody else there. And the owners probably ought to spend a little bit of time out there you know, just just seeing the kind of results that are that are being uh, garnered from, and because it's a big investment, it's a big investment of time, and it's usually a couple of days, and there's lots of equipment, and yeah, so definitely worthwhile, though, in my opinion. And observing right. mean, owners, owners could be out there observing, you know, not just what's happening, but seeing who, like, oh, this, okay, we need this guy at the events from now on. He really has a way in face to face with people. He really has a way. Yeah. There exactly. was actually one, um, I had a quote here from one of the contractors who took our survey that I wanted to read because it actually encompasses a lot of exactly what you're saying, Mark. And this is a, an HVAC contractor in Pennsylvania said, you cannot be passive at home shows. It is critical to engage prospects. The most important thing we do to be successful is schedule the sales appointment at the show. We will offer promotion, but only if the prospect schedules the appointment at the show. We typically generate right. 40 to 60 qualified leads per show and generate on average $250,000 in business from the shows with a typical marketing investment of about ten dollars to $12,000 for the two shows. And that also talks to what you were talking about, the trackability, Mark, because ten dollars to $12,000 might seem like a daunting number for one short period, you know, marketing spend. But when you know that you're generating $250,000 off of it, then you'll spend $10,000 any chance you can get. Right. And if those 40 leads, that probably comes from, you know, 4,000 conversations or 400 anyway, right? Yeah. It, there's, a, there's a conversion rate if it's 5 or 10 or 20%, whatever it is. And I think that's important to track because then you, can, you make sure that you have the right person there. If, if you're not getting that kind of conversion rate, then it's like, well, maybe I should try somebody else and see what their rate is. Exactly. Or, or a different type of a different type of event or a, yeah, change one of whatever it is, change a variable and see what happens. I this goes down to kind of right. standard marketing 101, you know, like do two things or do the same thing with one variable changed and see what happens. Right. And where performance is measured, performance improves. So if you're not tracking that, you have no idea if you're maximizing the return on your investment or not. There you go. And I, and I, will, I will see that and raise it one, Mark. What gets measured gets done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so that's good stuff. It is, I step it is. on the scale and it says I'm 50 pounds overweight. You know, I got some work to do, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so anyway, that's, that is the one that is the, uh, the current snapshot survey summary report on local events and home shows is now out there. So it's available to all EGI members in the member dashboard at EGI.org. And like I said, non-members, you can check out a free snippet over on uh, EGI.org slash blog. And one last thing, you know, I think the survey is important for a couple of reasons. Number one is what are the best practices of some of the most successful contractors in the country? What are the common denominators of success? I've been asking that question to myself for 30, 35 years. I want to know, you know, what the common denominators are so I can 
it comes down to this. I'm lazy. If, if I can find out what two or three things that I could do that make me more effective, then I can get more done in less time. So yeah, there absolutely. It is. and there's a range of, you know, there's a lot of these things where, you know, how many local events do you, does your company participate in here? What percentage of your company's total marketing budget is spent on local events? That was one of the questions. That's kind of a very unique in number that immediately gives you a frame of reference when you're talking about numbers where you say, well, I'm only spending 1% and it looks like this many people are spending, you know, 20%. That right. gives you reason to, to take a look and, you know, see if what you're doing is right or wrong, see if there's some way to improve it, whatever. Well, it's marketing. It's a pie, right? It's a pie chart. Yeah. So home shows are one thing, right? Postcards are another. So you take a look at all those things and you ask yourself at the end of the year, which one demands more of our, more share of our revenue to get a larger return and what doesn't deserve it? And so, I, again, measuring it allows you to expand or contract your marketing budget based on results. So, so let's get to it. Let's get to today's topic, continuing on with a discussion about sales. One, that's it, one. What is the one thing that your customers are looking for? H.L. Hunt, the oil tycoon, said, decide what you want, decide what you're willing to exchange for it, establish your priorities, and go to work. A mentor of mine said to me when I was in my 30s and just starting out in sales, forget trying to sell your prospects, let them buy. He went on to say, remember, Mark, people buy you. It took me a while to understand what he meant. And again, back to that home show. They buy you, they like you, they trust you and they're willing to, to make an appointment with you. When I first started in sales, all my appointments were face-to-face. -face. Now, when I close the speaking engagement, it's on the phone, followed by an email. Occasionally, it's FaceTime, but it always ends in the last phone call to finalize the details. And when I'm talking to a new prospect, I'm concerned about their number one objective. Having your questions memorized is a good idea, a script, if you will. And here are mine. I hope they help. Number one, what's your number one objective for this particular gathering? What do you want the audience to walk away with? What knowledge, attitude, skills, or habits would, we, would you like to transfer to them? Number two, how will we know when we've achieved that result? In other words, if you tripped over the results, what would they look like? Number three, what will it mean to you to achieve that particular objective? See, sometimes people buy, an economic buyer will buy for his or her reasons, right? And sometimes those are bigger or more important than the organizations. But that's followed closely by the fourth question, what will it mean to the organization? To achieve that. And how's the decision going to be made? That's a, that's a huge question. You have to understand the pro, their process of decision-making. Who else is involved in the decision? Uh, years ago, somebody from ConocoPhillips called me. Her name was Wendy, and she was the son of a, of a gentleman who had hired me about 10 times. And when we got done talking, I finally said, Wendy, so how's this decision going to be made? And I could hear her smile on the phone. I could literally hear it through the phone, and she said, well, there's, there's nine other people on the committee. And I said, oh my, nine, gosh, that's a big committee. She said, yeah. I said, well, would it help if I mailed a copy of my first book, Freedom from Fear, and signed it to you know, all 10 people? She goes, wow, you would do that? I said, absolutely. So I did, and I FedExed it to her that day. And the next day she got the books, and of course I closed the sale. And I ended up getting, I think, seven or eight more speaking engagements with ConocoPhillips before the oil prices took a dip a few years ago. And that, that was a great lesson for me. And it turns out not a lot of speakers do that. They don't send, if they have books, they don't send them. They don't think of using them as a, as a sales tool. But in, in HVAC, especially on the residential side, well, it's equally true with the commercial side, but on the, on the residential side, 75% of the buying decisions are made uh, in the home by the, by the woman, according to Sharon Roberts in her book, Selling to Women. So that means, well, in my house, it's 115%. I mean, my wife makes all the decisions and I, I don't want to do it, and she's really good at it, so why would I do that? 
having said that, if you don't have what I call a four-legged sale, if you don't have the man and the woman, the husband and the wife in the room for the final presentation, you dramatically decrease your chances of closing the sale. I remember I was doing a seminar in St. Louis and there was a gentleman there who, who had a 95% close ratio. He was a technician. He was a selling tech. And he'd sold over $2 million a year before. And I was just astonished at those numbers. And I said, uh, I asked him, I said, what's, what's the number one objection you hear? And he said, well, I'll be talking to the wife. And she'll say, well, I need to talk to my husband. And he's, then he said, I proceed to ask a series of questions. Number one, do you have a phone? And of course, everybody has a phone. Number two, does it have a speaker function? Of course, every phone has a speaker function. Third question is, do you have your husband on speed dial? Well, all three of those questions, it almost borders on insulting, but but he was really setting her up for the fourth question. That was, can we get him on the phone right now and, and, and talk about this to make sure that he's informed and feels good about the decision before we proceed? And he has a 95% close ratio. So I thought, well, that's just genius. You know, that's so smart. Understanding who the economic buyer is. Uh, what have you done in the past or, or is the sixth question. And then the, the seventh question, I take a little turn. Uh, why me? And the, and the eighth one is why now? Now, what's fascinating about that, that strategy is, well, you might say, well, why us? I mean, you called us for a reason. Why, why would you consider hiring us? What is it about us from your point of view that, 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 that appeals to you? When you ask that question, you change the buying dynamic from you selling to them buying. Now they're telling you why they're going to hire you, why you're the person, you're the one that they trust. And finally, it, uh, what's the best time to schedule this, right? That's kind of a buying question. And did you want that done in the morning or the afternoon? And when you, when you segue into those questions, those obligating close-ended questions, if they answer the question, the deal's done. So here's my question to you. If you're in sales, what are your 10 or 11 questions? Do you have them written down? Do you have them memorized? And are they in the right order? And have you practiced this? It's a good idea. I still have a, a video of myself from 1989 doing a qualifying role play. It was filmed in Pittsburgh. I was skinny and I had hair. It was a long time ago. But it's fascinating to see myself on video all those years ago because I was clueless. I was just really, I was really young. I was just a tyro just starting out in the business of sales. But when you have these questions, the dialogue should flow. Dominate the listening. Let your prospects talk. Keep asking questions until you get the prospect's number one issue the main interest or need, and then stick to that one thing. The one question most new salespeople never ask is why. Reasons matter. Most actions are taken for granted. We do most things based on one of two reasons, fear of loss or desire for gain. You need to know their why. Simon Sinek in his, in his first book said, start with why. My late mentor, Charlie Tremendous Jones, was adopted. Because of that, he had a soft spot for orphan children. He used to play Santa Claus to hundreds of children from the local orphanage every Christmas in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Every year, he'd sponsor a busload of children to come to his compound to ride on the Santa train, sing songs, and every child would receive a gift. One day, Charlie took me on a tour of Hershey Park, the extraordinary little town Milton S. Hershey built for his employees and the orphans that he sponsored. Mr. Hershey had three failures in business before age 40. Eventually, he made millions selling his famous candy bars. The turning point in his life came when he asked himself why. Why is it that other men succeed and I fail? Putting himself through a rigorous thinking session, he narrowed the answer down to one reason. I was going ahead without having all the facts. 
From that day on until the day he died at 88, his whole life was dedicated to the philosophy of asking why. If someone said to him, it can't be done, Mr. Hershey, he would say, why? Or why not? And he kept asking until he had all the reasons. You see, reasons pull us to the future. Reasons motivate and inspire us to take action. And then he would say, not one of us has all the answers. Vincent van Gogh said, the fishermen that know the sea is dangerous and, and a storm terrible, but they've never found these dangers sufficient reason for remaining ashore. Alfred Lord Tennyson said, ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do or die. When I started my speaking business, one giant reason emerged for making it a success. If I could put three boys through college, doing what I love to do, writing and speaking, that was enough. That was my reason. So I worked 14 hours a day, six, seven days a week for the first five or six years. There's no substitute for understanding your why. So what's your one thing? Lucas, do we have time for a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. You know, going back to the conversation about home shows, I I, I do this thing where I, I when I'm when I'm speaking in a seminar or workshop, I I point to the person that I'm that's in front of me that I'm talking to, and I move my hand forward and back when I say this, and I say this, you know, moving my hand back and forth in front of the person I'm looking at is more important than that, and then I point to something over off into the distance. And I really believe that. And what I'm really saying is it's all about relationships. This, the relationship, is more important than that, whatever conflict we're having. Wayne Dyer said, how people treat you is their karma. How you react is yours. How good are you at making friends, building rapport with strangers, and getting people to like you in one conversation? My mother used to affirm over and over again when I was 13 or 14 years old, Mark never met a stranger. I believe what she meant was, his outgoing personality and his ability to make friends astounds me. It's always come easy to me. Is it nature or nurture? Is, it, is building breakthrough relationships a teachable skill? I believe the answer is yes. My favorite teacher in high school was Susan Hall. She taught German. I speak it conversationally to this day. Ich spreche ganz Deutsch und hoffentlich werde ich nach Deutschland gehen. Why? Why do I still speak German? Well, I married a woman whose mother was German. But beyond that, Susan made me want to learn. She made learning fun. She had high expectations of her students. She cared more than any other teacher. And she never took no for an answer when the administration told her she couldn't do something she thought would be a really cool thing for her students to do, like attending a play in downtown Seattle that was all in German, or starting a tradition she called the rubber chicken basketball game, which was Woodway versus Metterdale, arch rival. And 40 years later, they still have the rubber chicken game. She said to me one day, everybody has an interesting story, Mark. Your job is to find out what that story is. So here's some ideas, some simple relationship building ideas that you can apply in a short period of time with very little effort to achieve astounding results with people skills. Number one, embrace improv. Yes, improv, as in comedy improv, like the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? See, here's the simple truth. It's yes and versus no but. We all know that one annoying relative, uncle, call him weird Uncle Harold. And at Thanksgiving, you tell a hilarious story and he chimes in and says, that's nothing. One time at band camp, I, and then he off, off he goes with his boring story. See, weird Uncle Harold turns every conversation into a competition. It's all about ego, pride, and fear. 
But someone who's great at improv doesn't do that. After I tell a great story, if you're really good at improv, you might say, no way. And then what happens? Or shut the front door. You see, improv, yes and, is observe, acknowledge, and heighten. Just say what you see. Say what you hear. I'll see a guy walking his dog and the dog's wagging his tail. And I say, that dog's having more fun than you are. And it's astonishing. Whenever I do that, whenever I say what I see or say what I hear, or even say what I see in someone's facial expressions, it's astonishing how quickly I get to the truth and how fast I build rapport. It's yes and versus no but. Which one are you? Number two, be a good finder as opposed to a fault finder. Good for you is one of my favorite phrases. And it's a fabulous thing to say. Rejoicing in someone else's success. I also like to say, you deserve all the great things that are happening to you, man. You worked really, really hard. It's good for you. It's the opposite of jealousy. Be specific about what you praise, not insincere flattery, but a genuine positive feedback based on observable qualities. For example, Lucas, the first time I talked to you, I noticed two things. Number one, you had this fantastic kind of very white voice, and you were a natural improver. You were really good at improv. Where does that come from? Is that nature or nurture? Did you learn that from someone, or is it just kind of been natural the way you've always been? Uh, I think it's kind of an, an in-between for me, actually. Um, but, you know, when I, I took some of those improv classes and stuff in middle school as, a, as an elective, it certainly helped bring it up. But, you know, I try to be observant and be able to react to whatever you're perceiving around you. Right. Well, you're good at it, man, and you're a natural. And I think that's one of the reasons we hit it off the first time we talked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Quick question on the, the, the good for you you're talking about. So that's, that's kind of a um, avoiding jealousy, good for you. That's also sort of another way of looking at the, the abundance mindset that you talk about a lot, right? Where it's like, just because something good is happening to somebody else, just because you're, even your competitor is getting business, doesn't mean the same, something good can't happen to you. There's an abundance. It's not, everything is yeah. in utter scarcity. That's exactly right. You know, abundance is about gratitude and, and, a, and a different point of view than somebody that comes from lack. You know, lack is cynical. Lack says there's not enough for me. Lack says I'm not going to share my information with anybody because then they'll use it against me. It was interesting. When we were in Vegas, I asked a gentleman, and I forget his name. You probably remember it, but he built a $50 million business. And when I asked him why, you know, how did you do that? He, I said, you're really, you're really kind and sharing in, in the way you communicate, you know, the, your reasons for success. You know, how do you explain that? What, why aren't you afraid that somebody's going to take your ideas and, and kind of use them against you and steal business? And he said, Mark, it's really simple. He said, I implement what I talk about. He said, 90% of the contractors know, already know what I'm sharing with them. They just don't implement it. It's all about execution. And so having that lack mentality prevents you from sharing that information. But somebody who has an abundance mentality knows that when they share information, it's just good karma and it comes back to them. Yeah. 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 I, do you remember that gentleman's name? He was one of the presenters. I, I, and I've, In the breakouts? Yes. Oh, so it must have been the Kellys then. Yes. Yeah. That's Paul, exactly what it was. Kelly. Yeah. 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 That was. And I don't want not to not to boost him too much, but I believe it was actually a hundred and five million dollar business. Oh. <laughs> Shows you how much I was listening. Yeah. Well, I, I got to I got to go watch his breakout. You were doing one of your own. 
Yeah, right. I never. That's the that's the sad thing about uh, doing breakouts. I don't get to hear everybody else's, but that's okay. Yeah, that was a. Uh, so Paul is the is runs the the business Parker and Sons, and then Josh is a friend that's of ours right. who's actually been on the uh, been on this podcast with us before. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and I really wanted to talk to Paul more, but you know, obviously, we just ran out of time. Yeah. So number three, speak in terms of the other person's interests. As you observe and listen to what other people are saying, respond with it's clear you're excited about this upcoming trip to Maui, or you're proud of your children's success in sports and then let them elaborate. It's a kind of combination of the first two principles. It's yes and and being a good finder, right? And when you let them elaborate, it's a, you make more friends in two minutes talking about what they like than you can in two hours trying to get them being interested in what you like. So it's really being other-centered. Number four, give up the blame game. Stop putting your failures onto outside forces. It's not the government, it's not your boss, it's not your spouse, it's not your children, it's not the economy that's responsible for your current lack, it's you. Take personal responsibility for your life, your income, your attitude, and your business. Adopt the phrase, if it's to be, it's up to me. When it's time to place the blame, look in the mirror. And number five, when you're wrong, promptly admit it. Years ago, I was, <laughs> I had just bought a Cadillac and I'd gone from a Bronco to a Cadillac. And this Cadillac was, it was a sedan Deville and it was so comfortable. And I'd been on the freeway and I, I got off onto a side street and I was still going like 45 or 50 because I just literally didn't know I was going that fast. It was so smooth. And of course, I got pulled over for speeding. And this uh, officer says, do you know how fast you're going? I said, no, but I bet you do. And he laughed and said, yeah, I, I do know how fast you're going. And I said, well, how fast was I going? He said, 45 and a 25. I said, well, is that equipment pretty accurate? He said, matter of fact, it is. I said, well, then we can only draw one conclusion. He said, really, what's that? I said, I deserve a ticket said, write me up. He said, let's not get carried away, cowboy. Why don't we start with your license and registration? So he leaves. He comes back a little while later. He goes, why don't you just take it easy? I said, no ticket? He goes, don't push your luck. I said, no worries. He, I said, have a good day. So I drove off. And I remember thinking, huh, what just happened? You know, how come the guy didn't give me a ticket? Well, then the very next week, I was on a flight to Anchorage. And I sat next to a state trooper. And he said, I told him the story. And I said, I'm just baffled by what happened. He said, you know why he did that? I said, no, I'm hoping you'll enlighten me. He said, well, we've been trained in real time to determine whether or not giving you a ticket will change your behavior or letting you go will change your behavior. And based on the conversation, he believed that letting you go would change your behavior. And that's why he did that. I said, wow, that's interesting. So the very next week when I got pulled over again for speeding, I did the exact same thing and uh, I got the same result. But I still didn't change my behavior. The third time I got pulled over, <laughs> The policeman actually said, look, I'm really sorry. I have to give you this ticket because I have an intern riding with me and it would look bad if I if I let you go. I said, trust me when I tell you I deserve this ticket. OK, it, it was it wasn't until I got the third one. I finally slowed down and I haven't had a ticket since. So here's my point. When you're wrong, promptly admit it and work hard not to repeat the same mistake. We all screw up. We all drop the ball. We all slice in the woods. It takes a big person to admit a mistake. If you say something hurtful or it's obvious the other person is offended. Just say, look, I'm really sorry. And one more thing, there's a difference between an apology and an amend. An apology is empty words with no change in behavior. And an amend says, I'm really sorry and I intend to change my behavior. So we don't develop courage by being happy every day. We develop it by surviving difficult times and challenging adversity, said Barbara DeAngelis. Mother Teresa said, intense love does not measure, it just gives. So just remember, sales is about trust, relationships, competency, and timing. 
Your ability to build meaningful long-term relationships is the key to being successful in sales and, moreover, the key to endless referrals. Everybody has a story. Your job is to find out what that story is and then be genuinely interested in it and in them because in the end, it's not about you. And I would end with saying, Donka Shane, I had a ton of fun on this podcast. Lucas, is there anything else we need to cover? I think we are all good. I guess actually we can mention now that we have, now that Epic 2018 is in our rearview mirror, and I think we got a lot of people, a lot of feedback from people who didn't get to get signed up in time, and we didn't have a lot of cancellations, so the waiting list didn't clear out that much. But Epic 2019 pre-registration is now available. This is our our big conference, big national conference. It'll be at the Bellagio in Las Vegas next year, uh, in about a year. So Woo, better sign up now. Better we sell out quick. We sold out uh, three months in advance for Epic 2018. So we will add definitely there will be more seats. We'll have a bigger space. But if you want to make sure you're signed up there, we're going through the uh, the celebrity keynotes right now. Who we might select and a really exciting uh, kind of itinerary shaping up so far. So egia.org slash Epic 2019 to pre-register. Outstanding. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egia.org slash podcast. Find this episode and an archive of previous episodes. The online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment. The links to subscribe to podcast on Apple and Google Play app. And a link to the latest EGI snapshot survey. For more information about EGI membership, visit www.egia.org slash join. And do it today. Check it out. There's so much value there. Just my opinion. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time.